Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in week three of a series we're calling The Gifts. And I've loved this series because through it, our goal has been to discover our gifts and understand how to be good stewards of the gifts that we've been entrusted with. So I want to catch you up to speed if today is your first time. And I want to share our key text this morning. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read this out. And this is where the Apostle Paul is addressing the church of Corinth. And he's explaining the spiritual gifts and showing them how to be good stewards. So he says this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us for the common good. So we each have received spiritual gifts, and no believer is left out of this. And I loved in week one that Tim talked about how we discover the gifts, but when we do, we not only get to know how God uniquely created us, but I think it's one of the greatest opportunities as a believer to understand why you're on this planet to understand how God made you and wired you. And I think the greatest fulfillment we can find as people on this earth is to know why we're here and get busy using those gifts. And I've loved to hear from so many of you who have taken the time over the last couple of weeks to figure out what your gifting is. Uh, I've heard some chatter. Some people maybe have uh, stepped into a gifting they knew they had, but it's kind of lied dormant and they've put some more focus and attention on exercising that gift. I've loved hearing from uh, people in small groups calling out the gifting inside of one another. In fact, I want to encourage you today, if you're married, this is a great opportunity to maybe not call out your spouse for their shortcomings, but instead call out the gift of God that you see inside of them. And not only with your spouse, but as you're discovering your gifts, guess what? Your kids have gifts too. This is a great opportunity to not just ask the Holy Spirit what your gifting is, but ask him to show you what your kids' gifting are. Call it out. Help them to steward it. Tell them God purposed you for something because they have the ability to walk out their giftings as well. And then uh, last week, Tim preached out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that scripture and Bob the body reminded us that we are the body of Christ, that we're many different parts of the body, but we all are one. And each of us have been gifted in different ways, but those gifts are to be used for the body, and we need to be good stewards of those gifts. And I love this series, so first... You know, we, we discovered our gifts in week one. Okay, check, I've done that. So for me, some of my giftings are serving or mercy or pastoring. So then I start realizing, okay, I gotta step out in these gifts. So I've discovered them, now I gotta be a steward of them. I gotta get busy using them. So I use my gift of serving to show up on Sunday morning and I'm a part of our Vibe team and we set up church. We make this place look more like a church and less like a moose lodge. It's amazing. Or I go to pantry and use that gift of mercy to serve other people, to distribute food to people who need it. 
or I disciple or open up my living room to teach and equip and walk with people. So I've discovered my gifts and I'm walking out in them. And I kind of feel like, all right, good. I think we're fine. I don't know if I need to preach today. I think we should just go out and have donut holes. What do you say? But unfortunately, we're going to preach a little bit today because Paul doesn't leave it there at the end of chapter 12. After he's helped us discover our gifts and show us that our gifts are purposed to serve the body, he closes out chapter 12 by addressing our motive of the gifts. And he does that by saying this. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, now I'm going to show you a better way, a much better way. And then Paul leads us into chapter 13, and that's where we're going to camp out for the, our time this morning. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he says this, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he goes into the winner for the most quoted scripture at a wedding. Let me check real quick, because somebody's getting married today. Adam, you can let us know if you're using this one. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not insistent on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Are you using that today? Oh, good job. Way to be unique. Well, since we have talked about discovering our gift and stewarding our gift, I want to spend our time together today talking about motive. Because as we're going to find today, the right gifts with the wrong motive can be devastating. If you're taking notes today, if you do that sort of thing, then you can write the title of this message down. We're calling it A Better Way, A Better Way. Let's pray today. Pray with me. Father, thank you uh, for this series and thank you that you have distributed gifts to us. Thank you that we're walking out in those and many of us are taking the time to discover them and be good stewards, but we pray this morning that you would show us a better way. Amen. Amen. Well, this last week, my family drastically changed uh, as we lost a really precious member of our family. Uh, This last week, we lost 16-year-old Sammy, and I want to pay tribute and honor to her this morning. This is Sammy. Aren't you glad it wasn't a person I was talking about? Sammy was about 14 years old here, but uh, not long after this photo was taken, her health started to decline, and she started losing weight, and we figured out Sammy had kidney failure. And she was still kind of hanging on, but we knew she was pretty sick, and we'd had a conversation with our kids, kind of warning them, like, Sammy's probably not going to make it that much longer. But then this last week, her health took a turn for the worst. She got an infection in her mouth. You can take her picture down now. (laughs) 
She got an infection in her mouth and she couldn't eat or drink and she was suffering. So I knew it was time. And my kids made one request when they knew that Sammy was probably going to die soon. They said, when Sammy dies, we want her buried out at Uncle Danny's house. Now, Uncle Danny is my brother who lives back in my hometown on five acres, farmer Uncle Danny. So we said, okay, okay, we can, we can do that. So last week when she wasn't doing good, I knew, okay, we're probably going to have to have her put down, but I can't do that in San Francisco. I don't really want to drive with a dead cat in the car for two hours, so I need to find a vet in Vacaville. So I got on the phone with my mom. In fact, I, I FaceTimed my mom to ask for help in finding a vet. And the moment I got on the phone with my mom, I'll be honest, I started sobbing. <laughs> this was my cat, and I was sad about my cat. And because my mom has the gift of mercy, she instantly felt my pain. And what did she do? She started sobbing too. <laughs> she started consoling me and calling me baby girl as she does. So we, we chatted for a little bit and then we got off the phone and texts from her started to come in of this vet or you know this place or this friend who recommended and she was sending me all, all of this information. But then about 30 minutes after I had gotten off the phone with her, she sent me another text and she said, Uncle Danny, whom has the gift of service, has already dug a grave site for Sammy. Literally within 30 minutes, my brother, and I'm like, and I was thinking honestly in that moment about the gifts of service, and I was like, my brother, and I love him, and then I started crying more. So that next morning, Monday morning, I woke up, and me and Sammy were sitting in our favorite chair with our favorite blanket, and I was petting her for the last couple of moments we had together. And Tim came into the living room, and I know what you're thinking. Tim came in, and he used his gift of healing <laughs> to lay his hands on Sammy so that she would recover. No, we all know that's not what happened. But he did use his gift of leadership and he got on the phone and he started calling vets with me to try and find an opening. And we settled on the only person that was available was a mobile vet clinic that would come to the house to do it. So we jumped in the car and we called the grandparents and we let them know, hey, we're gonna be there in like an hour. And with an hour's notice, our family, my in-laws and my parents dropped everything. Why? Because they have the gift of generosity. So they pushed aside work, they canceled appointments, and they were ready to receive us. My in-laws took the kids to distract them, and my parents let my cat roam around their living room for the last few moments of her little precious life. They all came together, and then after it happened, all of us went out to the gravesite, and we had a little funeral for Sammy, and then they used their gift of generosity again to take us out for some Christian chicken. Now, the reason our family used these gifts of service and mercy and generosity and of leadership wasn't because they were all particularly fond of Sammy. Many of you know Tim has been very open about how he feels about cats. In fact, he's said from this stage that he hates cats. Now, my dad hasn't got the opportunity to have this microphone in his hand and let you know that he shares the same feeling as Tim. So my family didn't do it because they were fond of Sammy. They did it for another reason. They did it because of love. They love me. They love my kids. And we love Sammy. Love was the motivation behind the use of their gifts. 
And it was even love that caused two grown men who hate cats to tear up as she breathed her last breath. You're welcome. Now, rest in peace to Sammy and back to our text. Paul points out to the Corinthian church that the Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts. And we're to use those gifts not for our own benefit, but those gifts are to be used to benefit the body. In other words, when it comes to our gifting, people are our purpose. You can write that down today. People are our purpose. That gift of wisdom that you've been given wasn't given to you so that you could feel puffed up about how wise you were. Instead, the reason you were given that gift of wisdom is so that you could counsel another person. That gift of giving giving wasn't given to you, wasn't distributed to you so that you could amass a bunch of wealth and sit on stacks of cash. No, it was distributed to you so you could resource others. That gift of teaching or preaching isn't so that people can stand on stage and feel important about themselves. No, it's so that they can take the word of God and they can help people understand how they can relate it to their life right now. See, the target, the bullseye of every single gift is people. And Paul doesn't end in addressing the Corinthian church by saying, go find your gifts and benefit the body, check, check. Instead, he says, now let me show you a better way. And then he begins to show us that better way. You can put 1 Corinthians back up on the screen. And Paul says this, If I speak in tongues but have not love, I am just an annoying noise. Like me, if I went over to the drum set and I proceeded to take the cymbals off and I began to bang them together, somebody with no musical talent, just an annoying noise. And if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries of faith, have so much faith that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Say that with me this morning. I am, no, don't say that. It's not encouraging at all. He goes on to say, and if I give all, everything I have away and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Each one of these things that Paul describes here are good. Prophecy is good. Wisdom is good. Knowledge is good. Sacrifice is good. But he says, but love. Love is so important. Love is so vital that without love, every single one of those good things he says is worthless. Prophecy, worthless. Knowledge, worthless without love. Write this down this morning. My motive must be love. Now that sounds simple, motivated by love, but often that's not the main motivation that we maintain in serving the body of Christ. Instead, many times our motivation for serving the body looks different. Rather than love, sometimes it looks like obligation. It's that I have to, not I get to sort of attitude. 
It's that dead religious mindset that says, I have done so much bad that I need to do some good to, you know, even out the scale. It's this mindset of works that says, I've got to earn God's love. Or maybe it's not obligation. Instead, it's obedience. Well, the Bible says it, so I'm going to do it. That settles it, which sounds really good on the surface, right? But that's actually not what God intended. In fact, God condemns the Israelites in the Old Testament for having this worship of, okay, we're here and we're going to be obedient and we're going to serve you, but their hearts weren't in it. He said to them, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. But God doesn't want our gifts. He wants our heart. Other times we can have the motivation of pride. This is the, I've got a gift and I know it sort of attitude. I don't know if you know, but I have this gift. Yeah, it's a pretty great gift. Um, you should give me that amplification device so I can share this gift. It's people that are so enamored with themselves that they want the stage. They want the applause. They want that perfectly Instagrammable picture of them worshiping the Lord. So they can show others, the people that they care more about what they think than what God thinks, how wonderful they are. In fact, I think that this is the most destructive and kind of scariest motivation that we can have. Why? Because pride was the very thing that got, caused Satan to get kicked out of heaven. See, it was his pride when God had said, hey, you're the main worship leader. Like, you're the musician. You're the one who can guide all the rest of the angels in worshiping me. But instead, he took it and he flipped it. And he said, I don't want to worship you. I want to worship myself. I want to exalt me. See, every single one of these motives are impure. Every single one. But our motivation must be love. I use my gifts to benefit the body because I love the body. I wake up early on Sunday morning and I show up and I set up pipe and drape because I love the body. I practice my instrument during the week so I can come up on the stage and lead the people in worship, not because I wanna show you how I can shred on the guitar, but because I love the body. I cook a meal and take it to someone in my small group who just had a baby. Why? Because I love the body. I open up my house on Wednesday nights and lead a small group because I love the body. <laughs> Romans 12, 9 says, let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and love one another. 1 John 3.11 says, this is the message you heard from the beginning, to love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Jesus said over 11 times in scripture, he commanded us, he implored us, he encouraged us, hey, brothers, sisters, love one another. And then John and Paul echo him. Why? Because the church then and the church now needs reminding. Why? Because let's be honest in the room. Sometimes it's just hard to love some brothers and sisters. Do not look around right now. 
Loving one another is a way easier said than done. In fact, John also said in 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Because some believers are just difficult to love. Some brothers or sisters in Christ are difficult to love because they're just too religious. Others are the know-it-all kind of Christians. They're the ones when you're in small group and sharing a verse, they're the one who pontificates deeper and deeper and you're like, you lost me at hello. Like, you just keep going. I was just trying to share my favorite Bible verse with you. Some Christians are hard to love because they're overly critical and they criticize everything. Some Christians are too sensitive. Like, they're just crying all the time. We are sorry, okay? Some people are hard to love because they're selfish. Some people are just extra. And you're like, can you just, can you, can you just? Some people are too quiet. Some of us are too loud. Honestly, we just have different personalities. My personality doesn't mesh with every single personality. I don't get along with every single person. We're just different. But Jesus and John and Paul, they didn't say, become best friends. They also didn't say, like each other. No, instead, they said, church, despite your different personalities, despite your proclivities, I want you to love one another. And Paul in his writing isn't talking about the feeling of love. Instead, he's talking about how it can be seen in action. Let's put 1 Corinthians 3, 4, 13, 4 back up on the screen. Now, I'm going to put this up here for reference, but today I'm going to give you the Robin translation of this verse. Coming to you versions sometime soon, near in the future. I wrote this down. Love is patient. Even with those brothers or sisters who press your buttons. Love goes out of its way to show kindness, even when it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't become envious of how others may get blessed. It doesn't boast about the great things it's doing for God and his people. It's not arrogant or rude and slings mud on social media about another leader or church in the body of Christ. Love is others-focused, not self-focused. Love isn't a jerk. You like this translation, don't you? Love's also not grumpy. It does not keep a score of others' sins, but is genuine and honest. Amen. Love isn't judgmental. Love doesn't gossip about people in their small group. Love does not stop even when other people's motives are wrong. Love endures even when it's difficult to love. Love never ends. Hey, Paul could have used a number of Greek words when describing love. He could have used the Greek word storge, which is a familia sort of love, which makes sense because we are the family of God. He also could have used philea, which is more of a brotherly friendship love, which makes sense because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But instead, Paul uses the word agape, 
agape love. This is uh, David Guzik, the commentator's definition of agape love. It says, it is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It is not, it is not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. Now that agape love, it sounds good, but let's be honest. That's a pretty tall order. How am I supposed to agape everyone, every moment of every day? And you're right, it is impossible unless we first received it. Love that in Jesus' teaching, he never requires us to give something that we haven't first received. But he does tell us to freely give what we have freely received. And while 1 Corinthians 13 is a great roadmap and reminder for what love is and how we should love one another, we also have to be reminded that it's also the identity of God. 1 Corinthians is an identity of God. It says in John, 1 John 4.16 that God is love. God is agape. God is patient with us. God is so kind to us. God does not hold our past against us and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind you of what you've done. And having freely received agape, I can freely dish it out. I am enabled to love other people because I was first loved. Now, you might still say, but it's still hard to love. <laughs> Listen, I'm in the people business. That's what I do. I hang out with you people during the week. I text with you, I talk with you, I sit down to coffee meetings. Sometimes you're hard to love. <laughs> and as I was dwelling on this agape love, it can be so much easier said than done. Well, just rest in his agape love. There it is. But we have to understand that this is not a one-time event. And I became a believer and I received his love. For me, in order to love you people well, I gotta be in his agape love all the time. I love the word abiding. Abiding in his love because abiding speaks of consistency. Abiding speaks of staying in. Do you know how I agape love you every day? I stay in his love every day. I do not let a day go by where I don't receive his love. And if I happen to, guess what? You people are difficult to love. My kids are difficult to love. So we have to remain in, stay in, abide in, and receive his love. And when we do, if I love God, I'm enabled to love his people, even the ones who are difficult to love at times. Now, I want to invite the band to come up as we get a little closer to closing. Now, everything that I have said up until now sounds very us-focused. 
very the four walls of the church, insulary focused. And if maybe you've thought like, hey, Robin, I know our mission statement here at the Father's house is we exist so that people can find life in Jesus. I haven't heard you mention the lost once in this message. But actually what I've said thus far has everything to do with the lost has everything to do with those who aren't a part of the body yet. Because the same Jesus that told us to love one another also said in John 13, that the world will know me by your love for one another. The world will know me by the way you love one another. Which tells me, and if you're taking notes, you can write this last point down. Our love for the body displays his love for the world. Our love for the body of Christ displays God's love for the world. Because Jesus makes it pretty clear, the world is watching you. The world is paying attention and they have the potential to get to know a loving father by the way you and I interact and love one another here in this room. And I think it's about time that the church got this one right. Because for far too long, the world has been watching. And what have they seen? They've seen denominational divides. They've seen pastors who have failed and fallen. They've seen Christians dishonoring other Christians. They've seen churches dishonoring other churches across the globe or just across the city. They've heard the eye talk trash about the ear. They've heard the hands say they want nothing to do with the foot. They are watching and what they're seeing in your speech in front of them or your post on social media. What they're watching has the potential to show them the love of Jesus or they can see a disjointed, defaced, broken body that looks far too much like the broken body they're already a part of. So there has to be a better way. Our motive behind the gifts has to be pure. Our motive has to be love. It has to be love, not just for the benefit of the body of Christ, because yes, we will benefit, but for the benefit of the watching world. Tim made this statement last week. He said this, when every part of the body is functioning, then we can be the kind of church that God is looking for to be effective upon the earth. Listen, I can't change the global church. I can pray for it, but I can put a stake in the ground in the Father's house and say, this is the kind of church that I'm gonna be a part of. One that loves one another. One that doesn't talk trash about one another. One who is the hands and the feet of Jesus, not because we're trying to prove something or exalt ourselves, but because we love one another. So I wanna amend that statement Tim made last week and we're gonna change it to this. When every part of the body is functioning with the right motivation, then we will without a doubt be the kind of church that God is looking for to be effective on this earth. 
So brother, sister, let's love each other. Let's abide in his love and extend that love to each other. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me this morning? I wanna take a moment to pray over this, but I also wanna pray over another group of people in a moment. But as we bow our heads, if you're in this, I'm gonna pray this for myself and I wanna invite you to pray it as well. Jesus, I pray that our motivation would be love, that we would firmly establish ourselves in your love and then extend that love to one another. And Jesus, right now I repent for having the wrong motive at times. I repent for backbiting instead of blessing, for gossiping instead of giving grace, for being a bad representative of the watching world who so desperately need your love. Today, I choose to abide in your love and freely give what I have. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.